9.30, Sacramento, California. They're going to have a press conference with the police chief and I think the mayor, and they're going to talk a little bit about the shooting, so we might bring you some of that live or any uh, headlines. Yeah. So stick around. Fair enough. Uh, this is uh, it's always fun to welcome Neil Ferguson to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Mr. Ferguson is one of the world's most renowned historians, author of 15 books, including most recently The Square and the Tower, Networks and Power from the Freemasons to Facebook, He's the Milbank Family Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, Stanford, positions at Harvard, etc. Indeed, if we were to read all of his credentials, the interview would be exhausted. Neil Ferguson, how are you, Neil? I'm well. Morning. Really enjoyed your uh, presentation at the Hoover Institution yesterday. Very thought-provoking. Wide-ranging. Hey, by the way, not to get distracted on this, I just started into Kissinger Volume 1. Really good stuff. Liking it. Thank you so much. You're a book behind, though. Yeah, I I know. I, know. I don't know what to suggest. I could slow down. <laughs> I browbeat him all the time. More reading. So, listen, why don't we start with uh, the topic of yesterday's chat, which was in large measure Facebook and its effect on the modern world and where you look in history for parallels, for a framework to understand what the hell is happening. Sure. Well, uh, what the hell is happening is a good question, and some of us have been asking it for a while. A lot more people are asking it now. They realize what was going on in in 2016, and it's still going on, by the way. Uh, And it's not just Facebook. It's uh, it's just that Facebook is getting most of the heat at the moment. Basically, a small number of big tech companies uh, located not too far from where I'm sitting here at Stanford in Silicon Valley – have established a tremendous power in our in our public sphere. I was pointing out in our conversation yesterday that 80% of news uh, is consumed in the U.S. today via a referral from Google or Facebook. So you you're getting more and more people who see the news either in their news feed on Facebook or via Google search. And that that is giving enormous power to these companies. And it's a power that isn't really subject to much uh, regulation. It's a power that's making them fantastic amounts of money through the, uh, the advertising they're able to do. And it's a power that turns out to have been abused in a number of ways uh, back in 2016, some of which have now come to light. The, the most obvious being that the Russians were able to put a whole bunch of pretty toxic content Uh, onto the internet and get it to American voters through uh, Facebook as well as other platforms like YouTube and Twitter. And the other of which, of course, is uh, as a result of the Cambridge Analytica revelations, the data that users gave to Facebook uh, years ago uh, became available in ways that it shouldn't have uh, to Cambridge Analytica and therefore was used in the 2016 election campaign. And that looks like it was in breach of a uh, of an FTC order. So one thing's for sure, the, this particular company, Facebook, has a world of litigation coming towards it. But the bigger question is, what on earth is going on, as you said? And I think the answer is that our, our entire public sphere, our media, have been fundamentally transformed in ways that most of us are still struggling to understand. And I, as a historian, I am just trying to say, let's try and learn from the past. What is this like? What can we learn from past experience? And the analogy that I think is really powerful is that it's a little bit like the revolution that the printing press brought to Europe 500 years ago. That's really what the internet and the personal computer have done. They've revolutionized communication. But the consequences, if you look back to the 16th and 17th century, are not necessarily all good.
Interesting. Uh, I think the democratization of ideas is something instinctively those of us who you know, think the way we think love. But it's what not... if it's a made-up idea? Right. <laughs> yeah. And then it's traveling around the world. Right. The, the democratization of, of fake ideas. Uh, well, that that's... I think most of us, if I think back to my 1990s, 2000s thinking, were excited at the prospect of a, of a world where everybody was connected. And it seemed like it would democratize not only uh, the media, but, but the world. If you think back just a few years to the time of the Arab revolutions in North Africa and the Middle East... A lot of people then said, oh, great, the Internet's helping democracy and it's toppling tyrants. But I don't think we thought nearly critically and and hard enough about what was happening. Uh, We didn't realize, for example, that once you create a networked world, crazy stuff is as likely to go viral as good stuff. And in fact, it turns out that it's more likely to go viral. One one really interesting new study that you may have seen shows that, that fake news actually spreads further and faster than true news. So one thing we we got wrong was that we we kind of assumed that there would be this global market for ideas on the internet and the good ones would win. Actually, it looks like bad ideas drive out good ones. And that's a problem for a hyper-connected world. Our concern as free speech freaks yeah. around here is that, and, and let's put aside the litigation for misuse of data for the moment, because that's a really interesting other conversation, but any... Any suggestion of you ought to curate this way or you ought not to do this or that just bothers the hell out of me. And the cure always seems worse than the disease. Are we wrong on that yeah. or, or is there a route we haven't considered? No, I'm, I'm with, with you entirely on this. The problem is that it is by no means clear that entrusting uh, so much power to Facebook and, and Google will lead to maximum free speech for at least a couple of reasons. Number one. There's all kinds of foreign pressure on them from China, uh, from the European Union, from all over to restrict free speech. And these companies are supposed to be global. And we've seen in the past that they'll do a lot to try to to get into markets that make those demands. So the pressure, you know, just take the Europeans, the pressure from the Europeans is to reduce hate speech online. But what does hate speech mean? I mean, what exactly is that term? And who defines what hate speech is? I argue that hate speech is a little bit like heresy in the past. It's something you, it's something that you don't like and you decide to make it illegal. So if you have external pressure on these companies, say from the European Commission or from the German government, saying you have, you have to remove hate speech from the platform or we will fine you big bucks, that's already a, a, a move away from, from free speech. Secondly, I think it's really important for all of us who are libertarians to recognize the threat posed by monopolies in the public sphere. In effect, Google has a monopoly on search and near monopoly, and Facebook is essentially the one and only social network. But these companies are run by people who have their own politics, and their their employees often seem to me to have picked up their politics on the Berkeley or the Stanford campus. They lean left. And we saw very clearly after the events in Charlottesville last year how eager some people in Silicon Valley are to broaden their so-called community standards to kick people off the Internet that they deem to be alt-right. 
But again, the question is, who decides, who determines, who is alt-right? And I'll give you an example of how this can go very wrong for free speech. Uh, Last year, it became clear that some technology companies were deferring to an organization called the Southern Poverty Law Center, Mm. which is a kind of phony civil rights organization that uh, makes money from naive liberal donors and publishes all kinds of lists of so-called extremists. So you're an engineer, you're at Google, and somebody tells you you have to worry about extremists. So you say, well, I don't know, I'm an engineer. Uh, who, who, who tells me who the extremists are? Oh, the Southern Poverty Law Center. Let's see. Oh, look, there's a list of anti-Muslim extremists there. Uh, we better make sure those people don't get too much exposure when we, do, uh, when we do the Google search. But if one of those people is Ayan Hirsi Ali, to whom I happen to be married, uh, who by no means should be described as an extremist, you are very rapidly expanding the category of extremism and reducing free speech. I'll give you an example of how this works in practice. Uh, Prager University, run by Dennis Prager, is currently uh, suing uh, Google because of YouTube's policy of, of branding some of their items as restricted content. Uh, and that is the thing that really worries me. We've given a whole lot of power to the internet companies. They basically run our public sphere, they run our media, but their community standards are very flexible and not very transparent. And I think we'll see more and more concern, particularly amongst conservatives, that free speech is available as long as you're a liberal. That is an extremely dangerous tendency. And it's the reason I think we can't just leave things as they are. Well, I wonder what if, if, if what will emerge is sort of a, a Facebook that is the way Fox News Channel is, that everybody that leans that direction politically will use that social network. Everybody else will use Facebook and it'll be like Fox and MSNBC. It's a really interesting idea, but I think there's a big difference between TV and even cable TV and what works on the Internet. On the Internet, because of the nature of the network markets that exist online, there tends to be one winner who takes more or less the whole market. Uh, you see that in Amazon. You see that with, uh, with Google. You see it with, with, uh, with Facebook. And to create an alternate Facebook would be extremely difficult uh, because at this point, even people who say, gee, I'm really pissed at Facebook after all I just read, they find it hard to leave because they have already got so accustomed to doing their social networking with friends and family via, via Facebook. So good luck in creating Fox Facebook or Foxbook. Maybe we should, we should try this <laughs> ourselves. <laughs> if Foxbook were created tomorrow, it would be extremely hard for them to get the critical mass they would need to win because these businesses have to grow very, very fast. Remember, they're essentially providing a free service and making money from advertising. Uh, that's how they, they, they work. Both Google and Facebook do that. You've got to have scale to get the advertisers to start spending dollars. And getting to scale, as anybody in Silicon Valley will tell you, is the most important thing. Maybe it's the only thing. And it's really difficult. That's why only a few companies actually succeed in achieving it. So I, I would be very skeptical if five years from now we would be in a world where there was Facebook and Foxbook uh, or you know Google and Bluegle uh, or whatever you want to call it, a kind of alternative. You're on a roll. You, you can have that one. <laughs> 
<laughs> Neil Ferguson is on the line. We need to. There are so many more ideas we want to explore. We want to talk more about the new book. Um, but before we go to break, just so I'm certain I understand, you are calling for the immediate jailing of Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> I, I wouldn't go quite that far. I do think there should be a trial. Right. <laughs> and that's fair enough. Neil Ferguson will be back with Mr. Ferguson yeah. in a moment. I got another question about networking from his uh, most current book. Yeah, that his premise is really, really interesting. We've hardly touched it. Authors always like it when you reference their book three books ago, like I did with Kissinger, but uh, that's what I'm reading. Uh, stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Good bumper music, Michael. I get it. I was just hit with a theory that Jerry Brown is demanding the people of Sacramento get this whole police shooting thing under control so he doesn't have a uh, real kerfuffle in his own city. So hmm. maybe more on that in a little bit. They got a press conference scheduled for 9.30. Interesting. Neil Ferguson is a Milbank Family Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, Stanford University, among other uh, credits. And his new book is The Square and the Tower, Networks and Power, From the Freemasons to Facebook. Neil, if I might, hit you with my little theory about Facebook and and, and what we're talking about here. Um, you referenced your kids. I will reference mine. If my 18 and 23 year old had been at the uh, the session yesterday, they might have been rolling their eyes and saying, "Dad, don't worry about Facebook. It's really not much of a thing anymore." Yeah, I think it's fascinating that the younger uh, demographic is is kind of walking away from Facebook. It's definitely not cool amongst teenagers. In fact, if you look at the data, it's older people who are joining in the U.S. That is, it's older people who are joining and younger younger people, as in under 20s, are not. Uh, people in the middle may not have spotted this, uh, but I think it's, a, it's definitely a, an important trend. It's interesting that they're also defecting uh, to platforms like Instagram, which, of course, Facebook owns. Uh, and this is, uh, you know, we're talking here about people in their Teens, where penetration uh, by 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 uh, by Instagram is growing, but for Facebook it's actually it's actually declining. So I think it'll turn out that Mark Zuckerberg was very smart to buy Instagram. He'll be less happy to see that Snapchat could, by the end of this year, have about sixty eight percent of teenage internet users. Uh, putting it ahead of Facebook amongst that demographic, because of course Snap is the arch rival. Well, and I don't want to steal all your time with my half-baked theories, but I think we're in the midst, uh, uh, folks older than those teens, uh, we are a transitional generation in which humanity needs to acquire the skill set to deal with the new reality. We think a lot about, you know, the Bill of Rights and privacy and that sort of thing. People aren't instinctively protecting their data like they instinctively protect their homes and their papers yet. And I just wonder if this is a transitional period. I think it is. I mean, I think part of what's fascinating about this is the dawning realization on uh, amongst us all that we were dumb and we gave away way too much about ourselves 
to Facebook and also to Google because all those searches kind of tell their own story. And when you are feeling stupid, you naturally want to blame somebody else other than yourself. And I think part of the backlash against Facebook is driven by our growing sense of our own stupidity. I'm pretty sure that another important variable here is that smart parents are going to be restricting the the access of their uh, of their kids uh, to phones and iPads. I, I certainly, you know, look at my very young children, my six-year-old, and I say to myself, you are not getting a smartphone anytime soon. Oh, I I have a six-year-old and I feel the same way. Because it's addictive. I mean, I think it's not just that we told these platforms way too much about ourselves. We also got addicted to them because it is addictive. It may not, you know, look like a cigarette, but it seems to have as much addictive power as nicotine. Uh, and I think that's another reason why the, these uh, these companies are going to have a little bit of a fight on their hands. Reputational damage feeds into a whole bunch of changes in behavior. So I agree with you. I think things are changing. I'd be very surprised if, if five years from now we're, we're looking at an exactly similar interview. I think things will have changed quite a bit. Yeah, well, it's, I think it's got to. Um, the Square and the Tower, your new book, it's about networking. We don't really have time to like really get into the description of that. But I, I, I wanted to bring this up because I, I actually have seen you talk about this quite a bit because I watch book TV. You'd think I'd have something better to do, but that's what I do with my There's time. There's nothing better than that. Um, <laughs> and uh, maybe net- baseball. Networks are awesome in the modern world with the with the internet stuff we've been talking about. If it's you know, a bunch of Tunisian college students trying to overthrow their oppressive government. It's not so awesome with, when it's pedophiles from around the world finding right. out, hey, there's a whole bunch of us and we yeah. get to trade our stuff around. Yeah. Or terrorists. Or- so from, from a libertarian vantage point, you want to have some things that are illegal and pedophilia terrorism, those seem to me to be things that we should not allow to be organized through social networks online. But the key thing is to stop that category of things that we want to stop from growing. And it does tend to grow because everybody sort of uh, can, can claim to be a victim in some way or another. And the line of people saying, you know, my, my feelings are hurt, please ban those people, is a pretty long one. So I'd say the key thing here is we, we should really make sure that that line of things that, that we draw and say, well, you can't have pedophilia and you can't have terrorism, doesn't become a very elastic or rapidly moving line in which a whole bunch of other stuff is added to that. Which is the absolutely fascinating subject of the Square and the Tower networks and power from the Freemasons uh, to Facebook. Neil Ferguson, we could talk all day. Uh, You don't have the time, but we appreciate the time you've shared with us. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, gentlemen. Good to talk. Thank you. Yeah, his whole whole book about networking and how important it is and how he didn't realize it. It just dawned on him fairly recently how the whole world is about networks. It's Mm -hmm. it's an interesting uh, thought. Uh, How does Bitcoin fit into all of this? Good question. You know, he mentioned in his talk yesterday that witch burning and witch hunts really didn't take off until the printing press took hold. That was some of the original widespread fake news. What's coming up in your news, Marshall? Uh, we're waiting for a press conference dealing with the investigation into the Sacramento, California police shooting of Stephon Clark. When that starts, we will try to go to that. And now there's a push to make it illegal to check out work emails after hours. <laughs> Stories coming up minutes from now, Armstrong oh. and Getty. Good stuff, the Armstrong and Getty Show. About 30... 30- Two 
things. One, I'm going to start saying Amazon instead of Amazon, because I thought that was cool. I already have more respect for you. And secondly, on our guest, we got this text. I'd give a testicle for that guy's accent, both for his knowledge. I agree. <laughs> Depending on who that, that person from... is, go ahead. most likely that's a good trade. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I would say just proposing the trade is proof that it's a good trade. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, well, you're probably going to tell us this, right? Yeah. Here's Marshall Phillips with the news. Yeah, we are waiting on a uh, press conference featuring the Sacramento, California police, the uh, mayor of Sacramento, and a number of community leaders. A press conference dealing with the investigation into the shooting death of Stefan Clark. A police, uh, police shooting sparked a lot of protest, national outrage. He was shot. He was shot at 20 times by two officers who mistook the cell phone in Clark's hand for a gun. So that press conference should be starting any minute now. Yeah, so we'll... I sort of feel like the national attention, which lagged behind the local right. attention, obviously, has rekindled the local. Oh, yeah, to some extent. Yeah. yeah. Also, Marshall is part of the liberal media is trying to make it sound as controversial as possible, leaving out the circumstances. It was the, the dark of night. Right. He had been committing crimes. He was jumping over fences in backyards, and the cops came upon him. And, you know, in a dark things backyard. unfolded in, in mere yep. seconds. Yep. And uh, again, anyway, we're waiting for uh, the details on that press release to start here any minute now. A Michigan State University official who was in charge of the clinic where former sports doctor Larry Nasser worked is facing criminal charges for allegedly inappropriately touching a student and storing nude photos of female students on his work computer. 70-year-old William Stemple, who was dean of the College of Osteopathic Medicine until late last year, has been charged today with a felony, a high court misdemeanor, and two misdemeanors. He is uh, due to be arraigned in the afternoon. Do we have any idea how he came to have nude photos of students on his computer at all? I have heard that one of the descriptions was nude selfies of female students. So I'm what not sort quite of all, so maybe was into just you know like college girl selfie porn. What sort of pervo conspiracy racket thing did they have going on there? Well, Perhaps. yeah, yeah. That's this that absolutely suggests something like that may have been going on. Maybe Nasser knew what the old man was up to, and said, "No, you're not going to bring the heat down yeah. on me. No, you're not going to subject me to extra scrutiny, or I'll you know turn it right back on you." More good uh, news for President Donald Trump in the polls. A growing American economy and passage of the Republican tax overhauls helping out the president lift his approval ratings from some historic lows. That's according to a new poll by the Associated Press. Trump, uh, they're saying, still unpopular with the majority of Americans, 58%. But the 42% in this poll say they now approve of his, the job he's doing as president. That is up seven points from a month ago. That's four polls that have him in yep. the low 40s now um, in the last week, so that's clearly about where he is. Uh, I don't know if the Stormy Daniels thing, which came after that polling, right. will have any effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I doubt, why, why is he I up? Doubt Let's it, go well. with the why is he up, the economy? Uh, the tax measure is getting more and more positive uh, notice. I th- consumer optimism is is higher than it's been in quite some time. He did the stock that. market, uh, economic growth, etc. He did that. Finally, on, we've seen some wage growth. He did that open-minded stuff about guns. I think that might have appealed right. to a lot of people. And listen, it's just not that mysterious to me. Barack Obama was very, very popular because he is a charming and amusing guy. Even though many of his policies polled terribly. 
Donald Trump is in many ways a loathsome human being with some policies that are pretty damned solid. Right. So I don't know if he's ever going to get very high because of our, our silly relationship with our president. We want him to be our buddy. And he's never going to be very good at that, I don't think. You know, another interesting turn of events is the stock market went up wildly yesterday yeah. on, on the feeling that, A, there's Aye. not going to be a trade war with China after China said, we're going to buy more of your semiconductors to help lower your deficit. And so the whole Trump, you know, cracking down on China, maybe the negotiating tactic's working. But anyway, it sent the market up right. very That's nicely. clearly what he was trying to do. Yep. Senate's top Democrat unhappy about a new citizenship question on the 2020 census. The question deals with U.S. citizenship status. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer accusing the administration of distorting the census for political purposes. So uh, we're going to join the press conference that they're having in Sacramento. Who's speaking currently uh, there, Hanson? Who is that? Yeah, that's the attorney general. The devil. We got the uh, mayor up there. Let's uh, listen in a little bit. Here we go. I got it, Michael. I've got it on the TV. I queued it up. You ready? Here we go. Who are there to protect us. I believe that's what's essential to have and to achieve true and lasting public safety for our neighbors and for our peace officers. With that in mind, it's appropriate to ask, as I said earlier, Chief Daniel Hahn of the Sacramento Police Department, to lead us in announcing today's decision. So at this stage, let me turn the microphone over to Chief Daniel Hahn. Worth mentioning, Who I suppose. the first African-American chief of police in Sacramento history. Yeah, got to mention, in case you don't know, he is a black guy, so that plays a role, right? I don't know. Good morning. I'd first like to uh, thank Attorney General Becerra. I appreciate your willingness to help our city and our community during this critical time and on this significant issue. On February 18th, our city experienced a tragedy that no one wants to see or experience. Or excuse me, March. As our city's police chief, who has lived in this community my entire life, I'm dedicated to making sure that we gather all the facts, conduct a thorough investigation, and promise we will continue to be transparent throughout the process. Our community deserves nothing less I also promise, regardless of the final outcome of this investigation, we will explore and implement ways to better serve our community and find ways to prevent this sort of tragedy in our city. That is my promise as this city's police chief and a lifelong member. It is the same process that we announce, it is in this same process that we announce the addition of the State Department of Justice being part of this investigation. I have complete confidence in the detectives in my department to accurately and impartially and thoroughly investigate this tragic incident. But due to the nature of this investigation, the extremely high emotions, anger, and hurt in our city, I felt it was the best interest of our entire community, including the members of our police department, to ask the Attorney General to be an independent part of this investigation and Mr. Becerra agreed to be that independent body. Our city is at a critical point right now and I believe this will build, help build faith and confidence in the investigation from our community. The Sacramento Police Department will provide full access and involvement for the Department of Justice investigators during the entire investigation. 
They will also provide an independent review of our policies and our training as it relates to use of force. I again would like to thank our Attorney General for his dedication to the Sacramento community through his willingness to be an independent part of this investigation. I'd also like to speak to the recent events in our city. Protest has a rich and positive place in our nation's history and definitely in our state and our city's history. As the capital of California, we often see the rights of protesters exercised in our city. But as we have seen, I am concerned that as a community, we exercise calm over the coming weeks and months and that we don't have any more tragedies, injuries, or property damage as that does not help us move forward and prove the city for all people. It is with this in mind, I want to thank the leaders in the, our community that are here with us today, supporting our city and being safe, the fraternities, the sororities, and the pastors that are here today. I thank all of them for being engaged in ensuring that our, everyone in our city is safe and has the opportunity to thrive. So, um, one thing I wanted to point out is, so he said we're going to launch an investigation. We got the Attorney General involved. There mm-hmm. was breaking news today that two police officers will not be pr- prosecuted in a shooting in Louisiana. I don't even remember this one, Baton right. Rouge, Louisiana, but it was one of those close calls. Right. Did they murder the guy, whatever. My, the reason I brought it up is it was announced today they'll not be prosecuted for a shooting that happened in 2016. Right. Mm. Two years ago. Yeah. So that's, it, one, it takes a long time. Two, it's an opportunity to, like, put these things off until nobody cares anymore. Right? Yeah, you know, you could rephrase that to let passions cool okay. and let facts win the day. That might be more fair. Or, or sure, you know, from the other perspective, you could say, yeah, yeah, you just d- delay, delay, delay. You know, it's a, you stonewall. Until you don't even remember what the shooting was, right. like uh, this one in Louisiana. I happen to not agree with that point of view, but that's the way they would put it. I, I have no doubt in my mind, absolutely zero, that given the politics of Sacramento, the politics of California, and the people involved, that the investigation will be fair. There is a large constituency that will not accept a fair verdict if it's in opposition to their emotions or, or what they want to be uh, the outcome, and there's no reasoning with them. All you can do is wait till their anger cools. And so, yeah, that's why you have you know, some of the uh, the taking your time tactics. So, should we uh, take a break? And if they say anything else interesting, we'll bring it to you. Yeah, I think that makes okay, sense. Okay, Marshall. Thank you for your right, time. Thank you. Thank you for your time, Marshall. Appreciate <laughs> you your time. Go. Thank you for everything you do, Marshall. How are things coming with you're going to do ten push-ups, sir? Uh, we're uh, getting back on that track soon. <laughs> Need an investigation into that. Yeah. We're currently stuck at three, correct? Two, five. Two and a half. Barely. Five. Please, no. please, you Just guys five. are way five. underselling it. Five. I'm getting together with my trader five. any day now. It's like four and three quarters at least. Let's say three. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Michael. Uh, hey. <laughs> the conscience of the conscience of the nation, Michelangelo. Oh, uh, boy. Thank you. Thank you, Squawky. The petering out on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. Greg Van Dusen for the... All right. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So I found this interesting yesterday. We're at the... uh, we're, We're in this beautiful room... Hoover Institution, Stanford campus. They got a spread of food. 
We're doing these seminars about monetary policy and the environment and whatnot. Healthcare reform, political reform, entitlement reform. Nice coffee set up, snacks, stuff like that. They take this break and they got all this. They got they got fruit. They got nuts. They got all these different stuff. But at some point, they brought out a giant bowl of peanut M and M's. Yeah, and I saw everybody that. was lined up for the peanut M and M's. And oh, I thought my. it's I, I don't know made me feel better about myself or something that even in this group of like really smarty pants, uh, you know, high high succeeding people. Because even in the media people, they all went to your Harvards and Yales and stuff like that. They're all lined up for the, the peanut M&M's. <laughs> it's the healthy <laughs> not, candy. It's not, got a peanut right in there. Right. Not, right. Not the fruit. Not it's the compromise. nuts. The peanut M&M's. So there you go. Oh, boy. Well, I don't know if that just shows you that uh, obesity knows no limits. Or... I was going to say, did you lecture them about the dangers of sugar <laughs> and obesity? I did not. <laughs> you know, as absolutely fascinating as the whole thing was... It was a full day of listening to hour and a half right. uh, spe- presentations followed by discussion of various uh, weighty topics. You know, at some point, the uh, guy appreciates a couple of M&Ms just to, you know, <laughs> reward oneself for right. paying attention. Right. I particularly enjoyed the, the experience because I hadn't had the feeling of, oh, no, the test is today and I didn't study enough. For like, I hadn't had that for like 15 years or like whenever the last yeah. time I barely cared at a community college class. That was kind of a cool thing to, to feel that butterflies of, uh oh, do I, right. do I know what's going on here? Well, at one point, one of the assembled uh, geniuses put up uh, some incredibly compact, complex graphs from the world of economics that transported me back. It was like a scene from a movie where the camera goes, and then all of a sudden it's hard focus and you're somewhere else into these econ classes where I would just sit there and think, you know, can I just tell you, I am going to cram, I'm going to memorize this for the test, and then I'm going to forget it on the way out of the room. <laughs> Let's be honest with each other here. Why can't you just give me a, a handbook where I carry this around, and if I need it, I use it? Oh, sickening to see that stuff again. Kind of like parabolas and stuff. Parabolas? Parabola. <laughs> Parabola this. Yes, here's your host, Joe Getty. <laughs> and then right back into the flute. I love it. Let's get a final thought from everybody to wrap up the show, huh? Positive Sean, your final thought? Yeah, there's uh, with my traveling with the intellectual elites, I've fallen a little bit behind on uh, what's good on TV. I'm playing some catch up today. I'll have uh, what you guys should be watching tomorrow. Roseanne comes back tonight, right? Yeah. For those into that. Yep. Uh, Getting Mike. pretty good reviews, too. Yep. Michelangelo, final thought? Uh, 60 Minutes had the highest ratings in years with Stormy Daniels, so look for more sex and scandal on your TV. People don't want to be informed. They want to be entertained. Thank you for that. Marshall Phillips, your final thought? Uh, I got to tell you, I'm down to earth. I'm heading over to the Raven Social and Athletic Club, cramming for the test of life. <laughs> <laughs> Jack, do you have a final thought Framing for us? Framing for the test of life. Yes. Hmm. Um, came up a lot today. You know, the word that comes up almost as much as the T word lately? The F word being Facebook. Mm-hmm. And here it is, front page, top of the fold, USA Today, again today. Facebook falls on the ropes. It's officially open season on Facebook. God, just recently, 
It was the darling of the world. Who would have anything bad to say about Facebook? Now it's just a villain. It might as well put the Hitler mustache on it. Oh, that we could have talked for another hour with Neil Ferguson about that very topic. My final thought is inspired partly by our Hoover Institution experience yesterday. I have decided I am going to write a book. There you go. I'm going to become, I'm going to begin immediately. Got a topic? Yeah, I think so. Uh, Major League Baseball in the 1700s. Can I write the forward? <laughs> sure, write the backward for all I care. Now, there was no Major League Baseball right. in the 1700s, right. which is really going to free me up research-wise, because I'm not really into that. No. I'll just kind of make it up. No. George Washington once played second base for the Delaware Orioles. <laughs> I thought it'd be cool to be a professor, but I hate research. God, mm. I hated it. Hated it in school. Mm. Hate it. Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. Why do people hate research? That'll be my book. <laughs> so many people have thanks so little time. Go to armstrongandgetty.com. If you missed any of the interviews, check them out on the podcast. And we have links to information about the books and, and what have you. Plus, we'd love to hear from you. If there's something we ought to be talking about, send it along. We will see you tomorrow. God bless America. This is a historic act. Uh, of uh, devastating incompetence. I will not sugarcoat this. This is a disappointing day for us. Big mistake, but not too bad. The fun level in this room is at an 11 right now, and that brought it down. The ride is over! The time for the clowns and the acrobats and the dancing bears has passed. Get away from here. Get. Get. And we apologize for our stupidity, and we really hope you forgive us for what we've done. Thank you, and good night. Because the show's over. What? Bye-bye. It's an insane, salacious tale about a sitting president and the least surprising story I have ever heard. Armstrong and Getty, the voice of the West. Some